0: Internet. this episode is sponsored by the good folks at Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you could pick an experienced, licensed therapist you can relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash Pete. And to show you support for this podcast, use code Pete to get $30 off your first month. That's P-E-T-E. At Talkspace.com forward slash Pete. Head on over. Cheer. Internet's next Wednesday night, November 15th in Philadelphia. At the WeWork Northern Liberty location. The Premium Pete Show next stop at a live tour is going down. Sounds, food, conversation, giveaways. Man, sponsored by Grillo's Pickles. Sponsored by Jason Mark and Suplex Philadelphia. It's going to be a movie. Okay? The RSVP link is in my bio on Instagram. Make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend. If you live in Delaware, come on the fuck down. If you live in Philly, you better be there. If you live in New York, man, hop on the train and come by. Internets, November 15th, next Wednesday night, 6 to 9 p.m. at the WeWork Northern Liberties location in Philadelphia, Premier Peace Show Live. Be there. Internets, let me tell you something. I want to give a big shout-out to Puma for bringing me down to complex con i had a great time over the weekend shouts to all the internets i've seen out there in la that show love to me shouts to puma had a great time giving out opportunities to a bunch of people who uh you know want they basically gave out job opportunities something that is really not done in this culture a lot they gave out job opportunities for photographers videographers Artists and, and, and models and different. Man, it was great to be a part of something that gave back to the culture. I really enjoyed myself. I thought it was dope. There was a couple of hype beast shit going on, but it, it, it was cool, man. It, it was cool to really see the internet in real life. So shouts to Complex, but more importantly, shouts to Puma for bringing me down. Shouts to Clyde, Eric, Timmy, and and, 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 and all those folks over there. On this week's episode of the Premium P Show, we sit down with the one and only DeRay McKesson. Uh, we speak about activism. Speak about Black Lives Matter. Speak about his vest. We speak about Trump sitting down with Obama, the Hillary Clinton campaign. And he just drops facts after facts. Uh, and I, I mean, the dude is just a really smart and talented individual. And I really wanted to take this moment to try to know who is DeRay and and, and really find out a little bit more about him. So I really feel this is a, a very in-depth convo with DeRay. Man, enough of the talking. Let's get to the episode. Chit-chit.
1: Come on, everybody, get set, let's go. It's the next episode. It's the premium
0: heat show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the premium heat show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show.
1: cause milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know.
0: It's the Premium Pete Show. welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Finally, finally, and finally, and finally, I'm sitting here with my guy, DeRay.
1: It's so good to be back. It's good to be here.
0: DeRay McKesson, man. Listen, um, right off the bat, we got to go and start speaking about what have you been up to lately? Just now, for the past couple of weeks, what have you been up to?
1: So, so much. So some of the work has been about how do we create a plan for people? Like what are the concrete things that people can do to make sure that the world is equitable and just? So we have been working really digil- diligently to, to map all those things out, like how did mass incarceration be- get built and how can we undo it? That's one. The second is the podcast. I have a podcast called Pod Save the the yeah, People. I, takes, listen, congratulations. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. It takes a, a lot of energy, as you know, to do a podcast. And then we're launching something big in November that I – can't talk about it yet, but it is coming
0: out soon. And you always got something up your sleeve, man. You know, uh, a side note for a second. I see you wearing Jordans, wearing true blue three Jordans. And usually you were wearing like Nike, I think like maybe they were Roches, Um And those were your protest shoes.
1: Yeah, those are the shoes that I wore, you know, because when I went to Ferguson, I had planned to go for a weekend because, you know, it wasn't a. We had no clue how sure, long you to walk down the what street you, then, mm. um, so I wore these red shoes, and they were like the shoes that I wore every single day, and I've essentially like worn them into the ground. So I have them; they're home. Uh, but these shoes, I was at ComplexCon last year, and, and Nike had like an installation, and we went in, um, and I was with Mark Echo, who's a great mm-hmm. guy, yep, and and they were like, "Do you want a pair of shoes?" And I was like, "Sure." So I have, I know nothing about shoes, so I put these on, and I take like a I'm wearing a romp him, and I and I take a picture in them. And people are like, true blues, true
0: blues. And yeah, yeah. Like, I guess he's a true blues. Well, it goes perfect with, with, with the legendary, or should I say now iconic, vest. Can I say this? It's the, a good vest. The blue uh, Patagonia vest, right?
1: It's a good vest. I love that people Patagonia. I no, love no, wait, wait, the vest. Wait, wait, wait.
0: When we sat down a while ago, they I don't think they knew you. They knew of you. They didn't know you then later on I've seen that you, you, that you took a picture with them they reached out to you they made special ones for you I, explain to us that
1: same vest so only one vest it's the same vest I've had for for you know a long time at this point uh, they will I've never not had it overnight so if it gets ripped or like you know one day I was giving a talk I get up and it's like feathers everywhere like the back just ripped uh, they will fix it same day for me and that's dope there's a store here in New York City that has a repair shop so they do that when I got arrested in Baton Rouge uh, the CEO of uh, Patagonia emailed me and he and was like I hope that you're okay. Let me know if we can help. So they've been great. Uh, I'm not sponsored by Patagonia, contrary to internet rumors, but I do think the company has a, a good commitment to justice and environmental justice for sure. Um, and it's a great vest.
0: So you only have one vest for people asking one vest. Okay, because some it people think patched,
1: they uh, they fix it like the yeah, it's had like a, a couple of fixings, but. Same vest.
0: For people listening who may not even know why you wear this vest, what, what does it mean to you? Is it just something you liked and, and, and now it's like something sentimental to you?
1: Yeah, so we were in the street for like 400 days, right? When you think about the original protest and um, it got cold. So we were the first winter. I needed something that I would never have to pack, but I could wear. And this is it. So, you know, I've been wearing it ever since. It, it's like a safety blanket. It is like a, a comfort piece of clothing. Um, and I don't have to pack it, so like I can just always maneuver sure. wherever I am, and it's great. So if it gets too cold, I put a hoodie on. If it's fine, it doesn't. This doesn't like overheat, so it's good.
0: Where are you staying now? Because you last time I spoke to you, you were all over. Like you're a, a rock star. You're you're staying at. People's houses or or, or moving I don't know around. If rock
1: stars uh, sleep on the couch. I was stay, staying staying at people's houses was like sleeping at people's couches. You know, I still live in Baltimore. I was just the chief of human capital in the school system in Baltimore for the past year. I just left on August um, August first. That's, so, right, like, that's right. That's yeah. right. I went to work every. You know, people are like, when are you back in the city? It's like I'm in the city every day. I go to work every day. Uh, and then after I left the school system, I've been able to travel more than I could travel before. So, like, I'm in New York tonight to record this. I'll be back home in the morning. Uh, I came to have dinner with some friends. So, so yes, yeah, so I travel a bit now, but uh, I still live in
0: Baltimore. Baltimore's a great place. You ran for mayor. I did. We haven't talked in a long time. No, I know. But you know, it's like I love the campaign, and then uh, it. What, what? Tell us about you know running for mayor because I I seen the campaign and was strong, and then did you just. Did you, did you pull out or did you just... It didn't? No, so
1: like, so, you know, there are a lot of things that I learned and, and th- some things that I do different uh, differently in hindsight is that I ran with probably 70 days left in the, like, just 70 days to go to election day. Um and in hindsight, you know, more leeway would have been just better in the city. Uh, there were some things that worked against me. So, you know, the newspaper, some of the newspapers would write things like, you know, he has more Twitter followers than voters. That was never helpful. That was like a <laughs> an off frame. So my my national presence didn't necessarily help that much in the city at all. But I learned a lot. And, you know, there's nothing to replace, like, connecting with voters one-on-one like no amount of forums no amount of, any nothing replaces door knocking uh, so that was incredible the people that did bernie's uh, fundraising did mine so we raised more money than any local race during that time period which was pretty impressive we raised more money on twitter than even bernie uh, could we had donors from all 50 states and importantly that they're at highest number of donors from baltimore city so in hindsight if there's some things i do differently we uh, we should have gotten on tv and done it earlier there are things i know now that i didn't. Uh, we could have sent out some mailers earlier, like that would have been a, a different thing. Those two things, and then you know, I went to a lot of forums, and not that the forums are bad, but, but but given the smaller window that I had, I think that we could have swapped out some of those forums for just straight up door knocking nights. Uh, and one of the things I learned too about us running a campaign where you're not using big donors, like we use a lot of small donors. They were mm-hmm. a lot small donor campaign is that it was really hard to budget, right? Because some days we get like $10,000 in, some days we get $200 in, like Mm. you just never knew. So I remember one meeting I had with the campaign team being like, we might not be able to afford a staff, right? And then the next day we get like $40,000. So like we raised $300,000 in 70 days, which was very impressive, but it wasn't like we were just constantly getting money every day. Uh, So that changed some of the decisions that we made. And if I had to do it again, I would just know that better than I did then.
0: Are you going to... Go again when it, when it, when it's time to uh, can can you go again, yeah, I could go whenever you know I, I think
1: that it's important that we're as organized on the inside as we are on the outside that some of this work is about pressing people in power to, to do the things we want. Another part of this work is about being those people in power that already understand equity and justice and, and already believe in a world that we all want to live in. And so I, so that's important to me. It's one of the reasons why I went back to be the chief human capital in the school system, right? Is that like, you know, I was responsible for all hiring. So teachers, principal staff, everybody in the district, I manage our healthcare. We employ as many people as the city of Baltimore. So, I was able to sit in a position and say, like, what do our kids deserve, right? Like, what should a great principal look like? What should a teacher look like? I didn't have to lobby the school system. I didn't have to push people. Like, I could be the person putting together the strategy and the team and leading a team to be able to do that work in a way that was right for kids. So it's important that we're on the inside and the outside. I believe in that part of the work. Right now, being on the outside is where I can make the biggest lever, and I just left being on the inside. So I think about this as like a both and, not an either or.
0: So would you make sure that everything was set up before you left, like that the way you wanted it? When I left the school system? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, people, um, you know, it's funny, back in the city, people were like, why did you leave? You know, I made 165, and it was a good salary, and... Uh, you know, people like why did I was at the train station the other day, and this guy came up to me. and was like, why did you, why did you leave that job? You know, da, da, da. and I say that salary just because it was like lit when I got appointed, that was the headline. It was like, so you know, I got all this mail being like, you shouldn't get this salary. Oh, you mean the headline was how much you make? Literally, the headline oh in my newspaper was like, Deray McKesson, Chief Human Capital at one sixty five. You're like, that's not like not helpful. Um, but <laughs> I say that because you know, I led a fifty person team. Um, we employed 11,000 people. We had 80,000 kids in our school system, 180 schools. Mm -hmm. And over that year, I was able to like build a foundation for human capital as a new superintendent. So I started, I was the first chief that she hired uh, besides the chief of staff. And I helped build uh, the way that her administration would come in and think about people. So I'm proud of that work. Uh, We did some important stuff. You know, we thought right when I first got hired, we had a, a huge deficit like we realized there was a big deficit so we spent that year either raising money at the state um, and we had prepared for a thousand layoffs and we didn't lay off a thousand people but we had to prepare for it Uh, so I managed that whole process and uh, was able to do some foundational stuff so so the person that replaced me is a strong person the team that I was that I led was arguably one of the best teams I've ever been on so I'm proud of that work Uh, and one day I think I'll go back to school systems in some capacity but it was a good year
0: you know, I want to go back to you growing up, but before I go back there, for people who don't know you and the people who do know you, I mean, your your heart is 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 so ahead of its time. And what I mean by that is is it's it's you do so much for people. You know, when people say they want to get on the front lines or people want to get involved and stuff like, you're really out there. You know what I mean? And and you put people sometimes ahead of yourself, but why? Because not many people do that.
1: You no, know, I think a lot of people are good people. And I'm mindful that I'm just one of many people who believes in a better world and wants to work for it. You know, I grew up in Baltimore. Both my parents were addicted to drugs. Uh, my father raised us. My mother left when I was three. She just came back when I was
0: 30, 32. Really? How was that? Huh? How was that? Did you meet? Her? Did, you, did you? I mean, I, I, knew, I knew
1: she existed. She,
0: uh, yeah, it, it's been interesting. You know, my sister, Teray
1: remembers her leaving, right? Mm. I don't remember her leaving, and our house burned down in fourth grade. So there are no photos of it. Like the first photo that the, me and my father, my sister, my mother took ever was like a Christmas ago or so. So, so that was sort of interesting. I think that I, as a kid, had to grow up in, and, and sort of process the, you know, when the person who's supposed to stay and love you leaves. Like anybody could leave. Like that was I had to work through that as a kid. I think her coming back um, is trying to figure out like what does it mean now, and it doesn't erase the absence. Uh, but but trying to think about like, what does it mean to have a relationship? So like she had a stroke not too long ago, like a month ago. um, And I was the first person she called. And it's like, we don't really, we don't have like a
0: relationship, relationship.
1: Uh, but it was important to go see her and like to be there because people like deserve people being with them when they're in need. So we've, we've been working to rebuild a relationship. It has been slow. Uh, And my father still loves her and you know, they have a good relationship and you know, me and my sister and my father have always been really close, but I, I bring them up because uh my parents specifically because I grew up in a community of recovery in so many ways. And I saw people put their lives back together. And my father's been uh, in recovery probably for 28, 27 years. He's been clean. And uh, he always sponsored people. And like, we would always see people at the house who I remember when they would come over the first time and think that like, they couldn't, Their life, right? They could never do it, and then see them at the end when they uh, were able to recover or into recovery as a process. And that I think fundamentally changed the way that I thought about people and the way that I think it informed my sense of hope. Uh, And then I went to college, I was an organizer in the city as a a teenager and did those things. I was in student government from sixth grade to senior in college. All those things were formative, but I was a teacher, I taught here in East New York, Brooklyn. Sixth grade math, sixth grade is incredible. I love uh, that grade. I don't know how people teach high school. Like I just don't get high school. I don't really get seventh and eighth grade either, but sixth grade is like magic. And I was a good math teacher and loved teaching. Uh, and that, I think, gave me a sense of responsibility that I didn't have. Like I'm always mindful of what it means to do this work so the kids I taught grew up in a world that's better than the world I grew up in. And mm-hmm. I feel like I owe that to them. Uh, and then uh, I trained and supported a third of all the new teachers in the city of Baltimore. I worked here at the Home Children's Zone. I opened up an after-school center in Baltimore. So all the work of kids was like this. I, I sort of understood responsibility differently. And I was working in the school system in Minneapolis as the number two human capital when Mike Brown got killed, and that changed everything. That that made me understand systemic violence in a different way. I didn't know that the police were inflicting damage at the scale that they
0: were in communities.
1: Uh, and, and, you know, we met, we've met. we met since
0: then. Sure. You know, um, when, when you think about your journey and, and, and how it brought you all over the place, you know, in places that you never knew you would be, you know, even think about when you say you're going to Ferguson, you didn't plan to be there for long, but you have. And, 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 and like I said, you've been on the front line, and, and, and you've been doing so many things. And now it's funny, because listening to you talk about your father, man, now it, 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 it makes sense for me. Of why you would think that people could better themselves, or people should be live in a better world, because recovery is tough. Um, people, you know, become in in recovery. I've seen it. You know, I, I I've been away uh, many years ago. Um, I, I worked that one um, many years ago. I remember. You know, it's it's people got to be willing, but also support is a backbone of that. And uh, you know, it's funny to see where that has come from right now to where you are now. But you know where I want to go is you were part of the team that was able to visit the White House when Obama was there. You sat with Obama before uh, multiple times, should I say? Yeah, we had two meetings. Mm-hmm. How'd those go? Good. You know, it's you know the funny thing about Obama
1: is that he is uh, he's like a star to to everybody, right? So. Before meetings, people are like, I'm going to tell Obama this and that. And then they get in the room and it's like a whole bunch of thank yous. And yeah. like that's so funny. <laughs> um, but, I, uh, but what I was proud of in all the meetings with Obama, with Hillary, with Bernie, with everybody is that the protesters in the room were always uh, just remarkably honest and remarkably candid. So the first Obama meeting was the first intergenerational meeting of civil rights activists ever uh, led by the president. The second meeting was actually the longest meeting that Obama had. At all when he was in the White House was with us and police chiefs and um, some some other police advocacy people. And it was good, you know, tried to be solution oriented. That was the goal. You know, it was at the end of the administration. So he was pushing his people to think about some of these issues deeper. I think the reality is that the White House at that time was was trying to do the work to do a setup for Hillary, you know, mm-hmm. so Brittany Packnett, who is a team member uh, of mine, uh, you know, she was on Obama's task force for under century policing, Sam Siangwe, another team member has done so much data. And like, he was also a part of a part of that work, but we were pushing, uh, we were pushing the administration. I think the administration was cl- confident that Hillary was going to win. So they were like laying the foundation that she pick up, which is what I think explains some of the pace at the end because there are 18,000 police departments, right? Sure. So it's actually, it's harder at the federal level to just do stuff with them because it's not like one police department you can deal with. So funding is probably one of the easiest ways to to sort of address it. And the DOJ at the end of his administration, they were just less willing to condition funding on some of this stuff. I think that they thought they were going to lay the foundation for her. So like a national use of force standard uh, A national use of force standard was something that we had pressed for. And, you know, Hillary endorsed that too in in the task force. And and it was a consensus around it. I think that it didn't make sense for him to draft it because it would come under her administration. And, like, I think that there were a lot of things like that that they they thought they were punting to the next administration, not realizing it would be Trump.
0: You know, I remember you saying that meeting with Obama that, you know, he took heed to a lot of stuff that you were saying. You know, now that Trump is in office, do you think, like, that was all... I don't want to say a waste, but that it all just it, you you were heading to a right place or even, you know, with speaking with the president and all those people to hear what you guys are saying and maybe even, you know, put some of those into action. And then now we get Trump.
1: Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm mindful that Trump will not always be president. And part of the work that we have to do on the left is make sure that we have a plan together for when we get into power and not. Not scramble to make a plan when we get into power, right? Mm-hmm. So some of the most important things about those meetings now, and in, in the specter of Trump, is to make sure that those relationships uh, stay tight. To make sure that the like the end goal, like what does a world where there's safety and justice and and police aren't killing people, what does that look like? That we should continue to do that work. So the moment that we get into power, we have a plan. You know, this has never been about the police. This has always been about a deeper conception of safety. That we know three things. One is that the There will always be rules. Uh, People will always break the rules. And there should be consequences, right? We know those three things should be true. The question on the table becomes, like, what should the consequences be? What are the worst consequences? And then who enforces them? And then the police come into play in that for people, right? But we want to tease out the, like, what are the consequences? What are the worst consequences? And who should enforce them? Those are the real issues. And while Trump is here, that doesn't mean that we lose focus of trying to flush that out. Because the moment that we get in power, we should be able to build a world that responds to that the way we want
0: to. Would you ever, um, you know, if they invited, if they invited you over there to speak to some of him, his team members or anybody to hear you out, just like Obama had that meeting. Would you ever go there? And,
1: you know, this administration for so many people is the first administration that there's nobody to appeal to because it's not clear that he's listening. Right. I think that I would probably only meet with the administration if it was like live, you know, like I, I can't imagine a circumstance where I'd have a private meeting with, with him or any senior person that was actually appointed by him. I think people that are holdovers from the last administration, like career people, fine. Like, you know, they probably, they're career people. So like meeting with them is, is fine. But I think that his senior staff and him, I would only do something that was live uh, because that'd be the only way to have an equal playing field where like you just don't get played.
0: Um, when he became president, where were you? What were your thoughts? Like, did you actually think that this could happen, or you were shocked?
1: I was at the Javits Center. Okay, Trump's team. Right, yep. uh, I'll never forget it because we were all like, you know, I was at this at this TV. It's like Katy Perry sitting on the floor, Gaga, like everywhere. And we're all sitting in this room, um, and we see it on TV, and everybody's like in disbelief for a little bit. And remember, Podesta didn't come out till later, like much later that night. So we all like. I remember Cher came, like in her, she was like in the neighborhood, came by, and everybody's like has a stupor on their face, you know, because everybody was shocked. I remember when I, you know, I wrote an op ed endorsing Hillary in the Washington Post, and I got a lot of flack for it. And people said a couple things. One is that people were like, Dore, you're wasting your influence. She's going to win. So don't waste this now. You should wait to write an op ed to hold her accountable. There were also people who were like, you know, he has no chance of winning. He's so wild. And I remember when I wrote the op-ed, I was pretty clear that he could win, right? That, like, there, I knew a lot of young people who were like they weren't going to vote because the president doesn't matter, that they you should vote local because local is all the only thing that matters, that that was some of the rhetoric. There were people that we know and love who said things like, you know, uh, we can afford to lose an election, but we can't afford to lose our values. There are people that we know and love that wrote whole things about how she was a devil and da-da-da. And it's one thing to disagree with her. Which, you know, you should, and I didn't agree with her about everything. But it's another thing to make these standards that don't act, that like that no election would meet. So I don't know any election where you would say that you can afford to lose the election, but you can't afford to lose your values. Like, name one election where that's mm-hmm. true, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there are people who are more in love with an ideology than real people's lives, and I, and I worry about what that looks like. And that's what I worry about with this uh, with the way people prepared for the campaign or the election. I'm not convinced that those people have sort of grown from that thinking uh, because what we see now is that the president has a huge impact on people's lives. The president didn't have an impact when he wasn't terrorizing you, right? Mm. But but you see this now uh, in a way that's really harmful.
0: Do you? Uh, what do you think about uh, Bernie Sanders?
1: I like Bernie. I think that Bernie, you know, there are no perfect candidates. I think that people are tired of pep talks. People don't want any more rallies. People want a plan. And I think that what Bernie did for people is that Bernie sort of skipped the how and he went right to the what. So Bernie's like, what? Free college. What? Like... I'm going to free everybody from prison. He's like, I'm going to free a million people from prison. Aren't Weren't even a million people in federal prison. Really, he couldn't even do that. Like, as president, he wouldn't have the power to do that. But, like, he skipped the how, right? The how wasn't a focus. It was the what. And I think, pe- I think that resonated with people because people want a vision to rally around. Hmm. I think that Hillary was not able to paint the what, and she sort of got mired in the how. So she's like, you know, this is going to be the single biggest investment in low-income communities. That's a how, right? It's going to, we're going to, like, undo these five things of mass incarceration and her platform is really strong i think that the the image of what will the world look like if we do these things is what didn't resonate with people and i think the combination of like the her focusing on the how and not the what and her having the baggage of people not trusting her i think really hurt her a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, i think too that what bernie did that was really smart is that he was everywhere right he talked he talked to a range of people and you think about hillary is that hillary stopped talking about content in interviews. So she did a lot of culture interviews, right? So she did The Breakfast Club. She did Another Round. She did that really, you know, not well-placed interview with Mary J. Blige. Mm-hmm. But, like, those were culture interviews. Like, none of those people interviewing her were content experts, right? And I think there were people who, like, wanted to know where she felt on the con- on the content. And I think about our second meeting with her, she was excellent on the issues like actually way better than even i thought she'd be but you never heard it because you know the campaign didn't release a video of it and it wasn't you know we were we were meeting in a swing space i think that was a real loss because i think she actually knew the issues much better and i think that bernie was able to you know and he didn't have a long history with us as voters because you know we never voted for Bernie Sanders before but he just did a much better job of talking about the issues, even when you disagree with him. you knew where he stood, and I think that people felt like they didn't know where she stood.
0: Mm. Do you think that uh it, we would have been in a better world to have bernie or or Hillary?
1: I, you know, I think it means something that he didn't win the primary. I think that either one of them would have been better than
0: obviously Trump,
1: so uh, you know, we'll see what happens in twenty twenty. I think that the slate could be a very interesting slate. Then uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see how he's grown as a candidate and his team. His team was f- a fantastic team to work with. I, you know, I say that confidently. I think he had a lot. To grow in as a candidate, you know, when we asked him, he was like, "You know, I believe in a jobs a bill that'll bring like seventy million jobs or something, right?" And we said, "Well, how do you know those jobs will go to poor people, people of color?" And he's like, "Well, because there are more of them." And you're like, "Bernie, that's not how the game has ever been played. Like, just because mm-hmm. there are like a lot of poor people, doesn't mean that like they just benefit from government <laughs> programs." And I'm hopeful that he has grown from that thinking since we met with him.
0: Sure, and he's got Killer Mike on. us I love Killer Mike. Killer Mike is. Uh... You ever met Killer Mike?
1: I love Killer Mike. And you th- That's another thing. Hillary just didn't do well I was like Killer Mike was
0: out there for Bernie oh, people man. didn't even
1: know who Bernie people didn't even know who A. Bernie was or Killer Mike and Killer Mike was there yeah. Katrina Pearson was there for uh, for Trump you know we'd never who knew who Katrina Pearson was Katrina was out there it's like who was that for Hillary mm. No, you don't, you can't name that's them that's a great point and I think that was a, like, if she wasn't going to be out there, at least somebody could carry the message. Killer Mike carried the message for Bernie, you know, and like mm-hmm. knew the issues, fought people about him, da da da, was coherent. Katrina was wild, but like defended. She's like, he never said he was going to build a wall. You're like, what? You know, but she carried the message, and like I don't know who was carrying the message for Hillary.
0: Mm, you're right. That's a good point. For people who listen and who know of you, obviously they're already loving it. For people who may not know of you, I know some people try to paint the picture and say that you're the creator of Black Lives Matter. Could you break that down? What exactly you all when it comes to Black Lives Matter? Yes, yeah, so I'm one of many people who
1: was in the street at the beginning uh, and wanted to do whatever I could to make sure that. There was justice around Mike Brown. I have a big Twitter following, and I was, you know, in Ferguson. We all sort of had roles, and the beauty of it is that no organization started the movement, right? Like, people started this movement. And I used Twitter as a way to tell the truth about what was happening, and that spread across the country. So I did that. Then we launched Campaign Zero, which was the first platform that came out of the movement. It is how we met with Bernie and Hillary in the White House and have continued to organize around the concrete things that we can do. So I've always tried to use a platform to push the message of the movement uh, and to organize people where we could. You know, there is an organization that has the same name as the movement. Uh, but again, there's no organization that started the movement. And that is important. And I remember that because, you know, I think about those early days when we were just out there uh, and we made it happen, that there was like this deep infrastructure, so many incredible people in St. Louis uh, who put in the energy to make this work. And there wasn't one organization that did that.
0: You know what's crazy to me is that the media always try to paint the picture as Black Lives Matter as like a gang, or as like they're 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 doing something that is not right. Meanwhile, they're sticking up for their rights. If you think about it, and you think about the injustices that's been going on, why does the media see it like this? And I'm sure you have faced uh, you know um, um, drawback and, and and people saying shit and and, and talking crazy. Have, have you ever get threatened or hate mail or any, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I'll start with the, you know, black people organizing has always been a threat to the power structure in this company, so not new, you know. Uh, And what we would say is that we aren't doing anything controversial. I think about Colin Kaepernick, right? Like, Colin, it, it is not controversial for him to call out the violence of the police. That's not controversial. A third of all the people killed in this country... Uh, killed by strangers, actually killed by a police officer. That mm. is wild, right? You got
0: to say that again. You
1: gotta... A third of all the people killed in the country by a stranger, somebody they don't know, is actually killed by a police officer. Mm. That's wild. Dude, we should live in a world where that's not true. And that's not controversial for me to to say out loud, right? So like when I think about the movement, we are only saying simple truths. I don't know. I wasn't there the day that Darren Wilson uh, killed Mike Brown. I didn't know Mike Brown. But what I know to be true is one simple One simple truth, and that's that he should be alive today, right? And, like, Mm. the organizing has always been around the simple truth. Like, he should be alive. Rakia Boyd should be alive. Like, you know, so many people should be alive today. I don't know what the circumstances were in that one moment besides the fact that we have let white people live who have done similar things or worse, Right. And that's like how we started organized. So when I think about the, the safety issue, you know, the FBI's visit my house, uh, I've been arrested in, in Baton Rouge in St. Louis. Uh, that was on threats. your birthday. Uh, and Ba was on my birthday I was uh, I did a talk back at a a movie, the Panthers documentary in Baltimore. Somebody tweeted that they were gonna shoot me and just like out of a movie in the middle of that movie, uh, the police come in, turn on all the lights they shut down the movie theater at one o'clock in the afternoon and have to evacuate it because of safety concerns so so I'm sensitive to uh, the safety issues and the first person ever permanently banned from Twitter was banned for trying to raise money to to get me killed so so I'm sensitive to these things uh, I'm also mindful that this isn't new right that we exist in a legacy of struggle that we didn't invent resistance right mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't discover injustice in August of 2014 that this is a, this, a, a fight that is older and bigger than me as a person and that one of the things they want to do is make us too afraid to fight, and I'll never be too afraid to fight.
0: Mm. You know, um, you it's, it's amazing the relationships you've been a- able to build over the years, even like with the founder of Twitter, right? Jack? Mm,
1: the three founders, but Jack is a CEO oh. now. But yes, yeah, Jack's a great guy. I met Jack in the... Uh, I first saw Jack in the street in St. Louis, and, and I don't know when we became friends, but you know, he gets it. And like St. Louis is home, so he was there at very low-key when the protests uh, were first kicking off and stood in solidarity with the protesters. Uh, he, I think he understands race and equity well. Uh, you know, Twitter's a, a big company, and I think that they're trying to figure out how to do right in this moment as a company, just like all the, the social media companies are. We talk often about safety on the platform, and we don't always agree, but... Uh, but I, I think he is listening in general, not just to me, but to the ethos of the moment. So, yeah, good guy.
0: You know, it, it, when when people are dealing with injustice and people are dealing like, I know, I know a while ago we spoke about where it's like if there's an issue in a school, you'll try to get it out there. Right, you know that the the it ha- has the system got easier for you to, you know, spread the word of an issue happening. You know, sometimes if somebody's dealing with some injustice or some some profiling or or, or any type of racist issues, is it is 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 it a little bit easier for you to get it out there now as you have gained more profile?
1: Yeah, I think that the need is there. You know, I think about. What's so different doing interviews and just talking about things now than the first two years? So, for the first two years, I felt like I was like the defender in chief, right? It was like everything I did was like defense about the movement because it was like people had these wild conceptions or like you, somebody didn't like something, somebody said at a protest, or da 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 da. So, that was so much of the energy, all the 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 TV shows and radio interviews, like that was what. I felt like I spent a lot of time what? And now there's like a consensus that we were right, especially in the context of Trump, it's like people aren't questioning the validity of resistance work anymore. Uh, which is important. So that's freed up space for us to like push affirmative messages now. So what is different is that like there was a time where if if a small set of us on Twitter didn't amplify something, then like you just wouldn't know. But because people's lens across the board is just like much more refined about this, like I don't actually have to be the one to talk about it because there's so many other people sure. who understand now. And that's really powerful. So that's opened up space where like now we can focus on different issues, right? I can like work on different projects because I don't have to be tethered to the phone. Trying to make sure that I respond to this DM from this kid, which doesn't mean that we're just still not doing the work. So, I think about Charlottesville is, uh, you know, a UVA, Marty Johnson was beat by police in Virginia a couple years ago, and we helped make that a national story. And so I knew the young people at UVA because of that. And when Charlottesville happened, I just got, in, I was in Baltimore, I just got home from dinner, and my phone rings. And it's one of the organizers that I knew from uh, from UVA who I hadn't talked to since Martiz got beat. By the police. And so she calls, I'm like, hey, Tassar, da da da. And she's like, and she's like, to talk to you. And I'm like, can I call you back in like two seconds? She's like, no. So I'm like, okay, what's up? She's like, there are these white people with tiki torches on campus. And I'm like, have you seen them? Because if I go and tell Twitter that there are white people with tiki torches and it's not true, then I'll be living in like, you know, I'll be living in a storm all day is like false alarm, She's like, no, I saw them. So I found this one reporter who happened to be there who had taken a photo, and it had like no likes, like nobody had seen it. And I just tweeted, like, got off the phone with an organizer, like, they're white people with tiki torches. Though. And if you remember that night, Friday night, they had not said they were coming into town, like they sort of like snuck on mm-hmm. campus. Uh, so, so help make that a national story and like still do, that's still an important part of the work. Uh, but again, in so many places, there are enough people telling the story now that like, if I don't talk about it, you know, it won't, it, it won't necessarily matter. And that's
0: a good thing. Mm. You know, uh, before we're going to go to break in a second, before we go to break, uh, you're speaking about your father before and uh, you've done a lot of, of great stuff out there. I mean, to me, a, a leader, a leader and uh, for sure. Um, has he ever, you know, told you how proud he is of you or, or, you know, to see, you know, what you have done?
1: Yeah. I love my father. We talk all the time. Uh, you know, I was in student government from sixth grade to senior in college. So my father treats everything like I don't know. He's just chill about it. Everything is like another student government election to him. So he, with student government, he always wanted to be like proud enough, but didn't want me to think as a kid that if I lost something, he wouldn't, like that I wasn't still a success or something. So he's sort of even about, he's much more excited with my sister. So like if something cool, if I do something cool, he'll call her and be really excited with it. With me, he's just like pretty chill, mm. but he's always been chill about, he's been chill to me because I think as a kid, he didn't want me to feel like if I, like if I won this election, he'd be really excited. But if I lost the election, he wouldn't be really excited. So he just, he's like pretty even with me. He'll call to Ray and be like, Bye but with me he's Rachel
0: well that's great that's great to hear you know especially too that you could have been the mayor of uh, Baltimore but you have done so much to make him proud regardless of that and uh, I I foresee that to happen in, in in the near future. One day, you know, I'm Doree McKesson, the mayor of Baltimore. Whatever I want to be, fuck, I'm going to be getting free uh, uh crab cakes. You know, <laughs> if, if that happens,
1: you can get free. I can, I'll treat you to crabs. No, you need crabs. Forget crab cakes. You need to like get some real Baltimore, <laughs> some Maryland crabs. You know, I want to be in whatever position allows me to do like the greatest good. So when I think about uh, being mayor, that in Baltimore, at the structural level is a is a place where we can just do a lot of good, you know? And right now, pressing on the outside of the system is a place where I can do an incredible amount of good, too. So I just want to be in the right place. Do you
0: feel that would have held you down to one place? Because, you know, you're all over the place. You know, literally, you're like Superman. You know, if you think about it, you're like going all over the place, putting out fires, dealing with issues. If you were the mayor of Baltimore, you may have just been in Baltimore, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that people deserve a just system everywhere. Mm. So I never think about it as like a... uh, I always think about it in terms of like, can we make people's lives better? And I would have been able to make people's lives better. I was able to make people's lives better as the chief of human capital. I'm able to do it now. So I don't think it's like an either or. I just want to be, you know, I'm more convinced now that like the structural stuff is the only thing that's going to matter at scale, right? Mm-hmm. That like, so you think about the racial wealth gap in 20 years, a new study just came out called the race is zero. In 20 years, the median wealth for black people is going to be $0. That is wild, right? Zero. There's no amount of like small businesses or like entrepreneurship classes. It's going to, that's going to that's gonna make a dent in the wealth gap. Like it'll only be solutions at scale. And, I want to figure out like how do we do? How do we operate at scale? Like, what do those solutions look like with mass incarceration, with the wealth gap? Like, and there are concrete things that we can do, and I want to be in the position to help people make those things happen.
0: Maxine Waters, what do you what do you think about her?
1: I like Maxine Waters, mm. truth teller. You know, we need more people telling the truth in Congress. It's a hard Congress now because we don't control any part of it. But people like Maxine Waters, Cory Booker. So many other people are are, are continuing to tell the truth and and press forward. You know, what will be important for the left is that they have a plan for if we win in 18, right? If we get Congress back, what will they do? It'll be important that we put together that plan now and not wait for the moment to arise.
0: Can you foresee Trump being impeached? Can you see that happening?
1: I can foresee him not being president for four years. I'm sort of open about how that happens, like whether that's Mueller, whether that's him resigning, whether that is him being impeached. Like but then who
0: we get, Pence? I What if we just get them all out of there? Uh,
1: yes. Yeah, like we get Pence out of there. What if Paul Ryan loses the election? Like I'm open to like, you know, it was a perfect storm that got him in office. I would love for like a perfect storm get to, him be the out, thing to get know? him and everybody else out.
0: That would be great. And he could go continue to golf where he wants to golf. You know?
1: Yeah, I don't ever want to see, you know, it's funny, people ask me about how I feel about the monuments, and, you know, I, I felt two ways about the monuments. One is that for some people, it's the first thing they ever organized around and got, right? And, like, I also feel like, you know, symbols of hate and power hate, but the third part about that is that I never want a kid I love going to Donald Trump Elementary School, right? Like, mm. at all, ever. <laughs> and these Confederate people were, like, the Donald Trumps of their time, and we should not celebrate that.
0: Yeah. Man, we got so much uh we got uh, to cover. We're gonna take a break right now. Listen, uh Internet's Darae McKesson. It's a break. Uh um just so many you you can't just put him break. in one box. You can't put him in We're one box. Hey, listen, thanks for calling me a good Instagram father, uh, off air.
1: You are yeah. He's a good Instagram dad. You should follow him on Instagram. I <laughs> have seen him raise his child. I've seen the kid in the high chair, his adorable son, his daughter's Older now, she's, like, about to be an adult. But, yeah, he's a good Instagram dad. And I follow enough people on Instagram who are not great Instagram parents, so...
0: Hey, listen, I take that as a compliment. I appreciate it. Internets, don't go nowhere. We're sitting here with Doreen McKesson. Be right back. Cheer. Yo, what's going on? This is Busy Bone.
1: This Crazy Bone. Bone thugs, and you listening to who? The Premium Pete Show. Yeah.
0: Internets, we all need to take a little bit better care of ourselves. And our mental health is no exception. That's why today's sponsor, Talkspace... The online therapy company makes it easy to connect with experienced licensed therapists that you pick based on your preferences. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can send your therapist text, audio, and video messages, or even do a live video chat. TalkSpace therapists are fully licensed and go through a vigorous screening process in addition to thousands of hours of supervised professional training. To match with your perfect therapist, go to TalkSpace.com forward slash Pete. And as a special offer, For our listeners, you can use coupon code PETE to get $30 off your first month and show you support for this podcast. Come on, man. You know how serious I take depression and and therapy and wanting to talk to someone. Listen, to get $30 off your first month, okay, that's use PETE, P-E-T-E. So that's Talkspace.com forward slash PETE and use coupon code PETE. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. Now let's get back to the show cheer. Internets, and we're back sitting here with DeRay McKesson, my guy, my friend. I'm so happy you're here.
1: Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I'm happy I'm here. I'm happy to be here.
0: Listen, um, who is some of the people that you met that may have surprised you? I like, mean, like that you're friends with now. They ever, they ever come like, as a not a surprise, but more of like, wow, I'm friends with so many different people that I never imagined.
1: So I'm always mindful that that it is important to me that we press the work and everything we do, right? So the people that I've met that I'm uh, the most proud of talking to are people that we've been able to like do work together. That is about making people's lives better. So, you know, I remember meeting uh, B for the first time and uh, B cares so deeply about these issues and is committed to it both in her personal uh, life and in uh, her company. Uh, Colin Colin K is, is great and really understands these issues at a deep level and like wants to figure out how to make an impact. Uh, there's so many people. Like, Trace Ellis Ross, like, she was on the podcast, uh, understands race on in her role as an actress really well uh, and, and, like, wants to do good and is doing good. And, yeah, the, the list goes on Snowden. You know, I know Snowden, and he was on the podcast, and I'm always fascinated when we talk, uh, even if we disagree about some issues. Um, Chelsea Clinton, so many people
0: who, who like... Good people you know when when you think of Colin Kaepernick and um you know so many people feel that uh, a lot of those guys you know in the n f l should not play to protest, but that would be risking some of their livelihoods and some of their you know supporting their family. What do you think about that?
1: yeah I don't think, I think it's it's only with people of color that the narrative becomes that you choose between a profession and your life as a citizen. And white people get to be lawyers and mothers. And they get to be, you know, doctors and they get to go to the PTA meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only black people. It's like what Colin's like, choose whether you're going to like be an activist or uh, be an athlete. And it's like, well, what if Colin wants to be a athlete who cares about the world being better, right? Like that doesn't... Who said that... you have to self identify as an activist to be somebody who doesn't think that who thinks that the police shouldn't kill people. Like that's not something that self identify activists have a lock on. It's like everybody should think that the police shouldn't kill people. Like I think that every kid should be able to read. That doesn't make me an activist. Like I just think everybody should be able to read. Like, so I think that, I think that that conflation, I think Colin's a great example of how that's happening. The second is I think that people want Colin to beg for his job and he's not doing that. And I, and I respect that about him and the third is that nothing Colin said was controversial, right? He's like, there are deep disparities. There are. So you think about, like, the racial wealth gap being zero is wild. A third of all the people killed by strangers or killed by police is wild. The police killing over 1,000 people a year is wild. Colin didn't do any of those things. So those are just true. You know, you think about there are about uh, a little bit less than 6 million people who are disenfranchised from voting because they are felons in the country. And about almost 2 million of those people are in Florida. It's like one in four uh, black people in Florida can't vote. That's wild, right? Like, that's nuts. Like, Colin didn't do that. You think about felony. What's a felony? If I asked you what's a felony, what would you say?
0: Mm, I have one. (laughs) (laughs) What would be the second thing you say? Um, (laughs) uh, Like, what is a felony? It's a charge, you know?
1: But what's the difference between a felony and a misdemeanor?
0: Um... You're definitely going away when you get a felony. It depends what type of felony. Misdemeanor is a smaller, in my opinion, I I mean, I'm I'm not- No, uh, this is why I'm asking you. Misdemeanor is a a smaller, lighter charge that possibly you could get off of. A felony is more serious, um, could possibly do some time, and uh, possibly will come with a, a bail, in my opinion. Got it. Now- the felony
1: theft in Virginia. What you? How much money do you think felony theft is? Like if you think about felony, it's fifty thousand. Felony. felony theft in Virginia is two hundred dollars. What? And in Virginia, when you become a felon, you permanently lose the right to vote. What do you think felony theft in Chicago is? Uh,
0: a thousand.
1: Three hundred dollars fuck so when you think about what it means to be a felon people think exactly what you said it's like heinous must be a huge amount or whatever but it's actually like not a lot it's not a lot it's not a lot so you get you get people who like in Virginia it's not like mass murderers who can't vote it is people who stole a name three things that cost $200
0: PlayStation um puck um an air condition. um you're digging deep on these okay what's the um, third one Man, I'm looking for things for like 199 man. 99 plus tax. Um, a bike. A bike. A-
1: yeah, so like imagine being an 18-year-old who steals a bike and you are now a felon and have lost your right to vote permanently in Virginia. That's wild, right? So how do we start to to talk about those things and help people understand that the world doesn't have to be like this? Like somebody sat down and made that up, right? And like we can we can completely undo that and redo that, and we redo it better. And you think about what people like Colin have said; like he's just calling all of that stuff out and just saying it's wrong. And like he is right about that, right? And that is the work. Is that like so much of this is that we organize around loud trauma, so the loud traumas will be, so like broken bodies, like da, da da. But some of the quiet stuff, like the felony. You know, felony theft amounts are huge problems that we got to deal with too. Those are the system, the systemic and the structural things.
0: You can think about um, how Trump and the world um, has been able to turn Colin, you know, kneeling uh, and 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 causing other people to be aware of of these issues into something that has turned into oh. You're disrespecting the flag. How does it always come to the change in the terminology of things? That's got to be white privilege, because to think we're not even paying attention to what this guy is, is is saying. They have never addressed what what he's saying. Think about it. They have they have never really took time to find out why he has these you know why why these problems are are meaningful, especially in their communities all over. But they're quick to turn around now and say, "Oh, you're disrespecting the flag." And 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 check this out: you're so worried about people who serve the country, and I have—I mean, I have a cousin who served. My my niece is, in, is serving now on her eighth year. But meanwhile, you're talking about people who now don't even have coverage, people who suffer from mental health that don't even have coverage. Yeah, I mean, I'm in Philadelphia a lot. There's tons of homeless people, and you know who they are veterans but if you care so much about standing for something why aren't they really standing you know you know what I'm, i mean i you understand what i'm saying it's it, it's crazy why do you think the world thinks because i don't know if you've seen this but you see people like ah oh, they don't stand for the for, that's disrespectful oh he should pick another time to do that well he picked the best time
1: Yeah, you know, one of the ways that the right, a a key part of the strategy on the right is denial. And it is easier for them to just straight out deny that any of this stuff is happening than than to deal with it. Because what do you say about the fact that, like, I keep going back to the median wealth gap just because I think it's so wild. Zero dollars is, like, that is insane. And, like, what do you say about that? Are all these people that the police are killing, like, what do you they, they don't have any answer, So the only answer they can offer is to just act like it didn't happen. And that's what Trump, Trump specifically, like his team is very good at the denial. And what we have to do is just not see that ground, like not let people take this away from the issue. So the patriotism thing, uh, I think, was an effective tactic on their end to just like wipe the, you know, it all of a sudden became about the flag. And I think that what people did in response was really thoughtful about like, just keep Bringing this back to like police violence, which is why Colin originally decided to stand. So we can't we can't let people renegotiate history. We can't let people act like the the present isn't traumatic uh, either. Like we can't let up on that.
0: When you speak about issues, you just mentioned issues. There's so many issues. What are some of that uh, are on your mind right now?
1: And I already told you about all the things I think are the biggest ones, like the family death. Uh, I'm trying to new issues. Those were really we already got we did the issues mm. we did it the roundabout way you were actually amazing with the felon thing that was great
0: I mean I was just thinking you know and and I speak about I this love so, that you said
1: fifty thousand because uh, that's
0: what people think you know you know you know I I mention this all the time but the sad thing about uh, felonies is Here, I'll give you an example right even even me um, you know I got caught you know with the uh, drugs and 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 trying to sell them you know man. Let me tell you something. I still, to this day, have that uh, uh, charge on my record. I rest in peace, but uh, me and Kamit over the years sat down with the Brooklyn District Attorney. He passed away. But I have definitely different friends that I've met throughout the years um, that spoke about that. How do they not expunge somebody who got in trouble for, say, something like, you know, I got caught with a, a half a pound of weed when he was 20, and then he's a productive member of society for 10 years, paying taxes. Expunge this shit. You know what I mean. Let, let let you know. Give people a second chance. And and I feel like the the judicial system, if I said that right, is so ancient, It's so old. And you like you were saying, it, it, if this is done, it could be un, undone. Yeah. And and you know, a lot of people, you know, you know. Truth be told, you know, I made a lot of mistakes when I was young, but uh, and 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 that being on my record for so long, it hurt me. It hurt me in in jobs. It hurt me. Um, you know, just having a record, you know, and 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 you get looked upon different. You know, think about it. If if you if you have a charge on you that you overcome, meaning like you've been better person, you know, productive member of society for whatever that's worth. If you ever got like killed or died or anything, they would say like ex felon. That's what they would consider you as, like you know, uh, like. The
1: system's not built for rehabilitation. And you think about, like, there's six states where if you get convicted of a drug felony, you lose the right to uh, food stamps. That Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense, right? There are two states in the country, Louisiana and Oregon, they still have what we call non unanimous juries. So if you it only takes ten of twelve people to convict you of a felony in those places. So like you can get convicted to life without the possibility of parole with only ten of the twelve people in the jury, that's wild. And it's directly tied to integration that when black people in those states started sitting on juries, they didn't want the conviction rate to go low. So they you only need ten people. Like that is wild. Like we can undo these things, you know? Drug free school zones are a great mm, example. Mm, mm. Drug free school zones are all bad. Bad everywhere. They're bad policy Mm. because what drug-free school zones essentially did is that they made mandatory minimums. They made like mandatory minimums just around school buildings. So like, why if you get arrested selling drugs in front of a school, why should you get a minimum of of ten years? Like, whereas if I'm in rural, whatever the whatever the place, like you get something much less just because you're not in front of a school. It's like that doesn't make sense, right? So Mm. now the good thing is that we. The research is clear. We know the things that we need to undo, right? Like, we know them. And now it's like, can we put together a plan to actually do it? And can we do it quick enough so it can have the biggest impact?
0: Mm. You know, many people who are fans of you, I mean, you got, I think you just passed a million followers on Twitter Thank recently. You. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's I'm like, are we, give, are we given awards? Right. Um, but Do you, you know, know who
1: the most follow person on Twitter is? Oh. You at least guess it's a singer and it's a woman. I'll give you that's the only hint. Beyonce? Rihanna? No. Last try. She's white. Katy Perry? Katy Perry? Fuck. Do you know how many followers she has? No. 80.
0: 100? 80? Million. 80? No, I mean million. Oh, 100 million. Okay. See, I was close. I was close. Yeah. You met her, right?
1: She, Katie's a friend.
0: Okay. Nice. I like that.
1: She's good. She's good. Like, Yes. I got a lot of flack for that interview I did with her, but I just saw Katie actually in Chicago. It's her birthday, mm. um, and everybody was in Chicago. But her concert, you know, it's funny. I always forget that Katie has all the songs. Like, there was this one song at the concert. I was like, I didn't know that was Katie's song, because mm. she sounds so different on, sure, uh, sure. on all the songs. Um, yeah. What
0: books are you reading right now?
1: I'm not reading, which is Why? Not good. Why? Because I'm reading more articles than I'm reading books, which is sort of it. But the last books that I read, or the books that I read that were really important to me, um, The Giver by Lois Lowry changed my life mm-hmm. when I was younger. Amazing, amazing book. Yes, great book. Um, I just read Tiger Lily not too long ago, another great book. Ti- Do you know what Tiger Lily mm-hmm, was? Mm-hmm. Who was
0: Tiger Lily? Tiger Lily is a great book and a great author. No,
1: who what? Who, like <laughs> no, t- Tiger Lily is who... Um, Peter Pan fell in love with before Wendy.
0: You know, now that he's saying that Peter Pan, listen, okay, my first name obviously is Peter, okay? I've been called Peter Pan for many years, okay? See? Tiger Lily.
1: Tiger Lily is like who he fell in love with. So there's a book that is like essentially the story of Peter Pan from Tiger Lily's perspective. Amazing book. Um, I'll give you the sun is a great book. Yeah, so I read more because the work I do is so heavy in the nonfiction. Right, it's like about mm-hmm. real people's lives. That if I'm reading right now, I'm reading like fiction, just as like a way to not have, like as a way to tune out. I read a ton of articles, though it's like essays and articles. I read a lot of those, but right now I'm not really uh, engaged in a in a in a book.
0: How do you? Because you're all over the place. How do you calm your mind? Like, what do you do to unwind?
1: I just really need four four walls and to be alone. Like, being alone, no matter where I am, whether it's like a small room, a closet, a hallway, like whatever it is, like I can just center myself pretty quickly.
0: And just like that, no meditation, no no just no yoga. But
1: actually, alone, like not like separated. Not you know, I just like need like. Just, so, like, before speaking events and stuff, sometimes I'll just go sit in, like, a back stairwell just because it's, like, just need to be me uh, and in one place.
0: You know, um, who would you say some of your favorite columnists, though?
1: Columnists? Ooh, you can get me in trouble with this. I think uh, Rembrandt. Mm-hmm. Rembrandt is a, is a really good writer. Van Newkirk at The Atlantic. Uh, Clint Smith III. third. Writes for the New Yorker occasionally. Um, those would be three that I offer. Eve Ewing is a great poet. Actually, just she just has a new book of poetry. A great book. Um, yeah.
0: You know, it, with all the interviews you did over the years, and uh, you know, the year the, I
1: just started March.
0: Get, no, get out of here. You've been doing interviews.
1: No, the podcast is I'm, no. I'm not talking sure about that. Oh, sure but that I've
0: been interviewed. Yes, yes. All the interviews. Like, what you about? <laughs> He's like yeah I I'm, I'm just podcast is new. Um with all the interviews you've done over the years with media and journalists and everybody, right? You think about it. How it's so easy for them to to you know to change the wording of 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 how you report things, right? You know, have you been media trained?
1: No. But I did, it was a lot of practice before interviews, right? I was mindful of, or I felt the weight of, if I screw up, I'm screwing up for way more people than me, right? So my best friend, this guy named Donnie, um, I remember before I did like my first interview, I called being like, hey, I I think I'm pretty good at anticipating what the gotcha questions will be. So I would call him at the very beginning, and then we just like workshops and stuff together, and that became our formula. So before I did anything big, I call him like I think this is going to be the thing. that Like, can we go through and and try and tighten it up? And one of the beauties of, of being on Twitter so much is that I'm I try to figure out like both the tight phrase and something that can be repeated at the dining room table. Like that's always my goal. So like when I got interviewed around Freddie Gray in Baltimore, it was broken windows and not the same thing as broken spines, right? It was like simple, tight. People can repeat it. Um, one day there were. Protesters were like fist fighting each other, and the news had footage of it. And I got on the news about something. They were like, "We're going to ask you about something else." And of course, like that image comes up of people fighting. And she's like, "You know, you told me this was a nonviolent protest, but people are fighting." And I said, you know, me and my sister fought all the time as kids, and I never questioned my love for her, right? And, like, so worked hard to try and make sure that I could be prepared in any of those moments, and that was, and that was helpful. So uh, even if it was, like, a three-minute hit on the news, I probably did a prep for, like, 40 minutes to just, like, make sure that I was, like, ready for whatever could come. And in the moment, you know, it's live. So, like, if I screw up live, then I just screw up live. Sure. I, uh, but I did a lot of prep uh, that people never saw to just make sure that I, I could be as tight as possible.
0: In the beginning of this episode uh, I called you a leader. Um in your words, what do you think is a leader? I think a leader has vision,
1: uh, has a plan for how to get people to the vision, uh, and at the end of the day always wants to do right for the people. Like that is what I think uh, leadership Leadership is and informed. You know, I know, I know a lot of. I'm around a lot of people who have a lot of vision, hearts in the right place, uh, care about people, but don't have the information to do the best work. Um, I think the best leaders I've ever worked with are people who make sure that they're informed mm. and that they they have proximity to the issues. It's hard to fight for people you don't know. It's hard to fight about issues that you don't understand.
0: Mm how important is it for people to get involved with their local government
1: I think I think people should find the issue they care about and get as close to it as possible so we know that the myth of all politics we know that there's there's this myth that like the only impact you can have is at the local level the reality is that the federal government impacts people's lives in, in big ways all the time so uh if you care about health care then like you should be you should try and get as close to the issue as possible your congress people your local elected officials so i think it's less about the level for me of involvement and more about the like find the issue that matters and get as close to it as possible if you mm-hmm. care about reading like uh, you know i always joke about the number of reading programs that exist uh that are led by people who've never seen a kid learn how to read like that. Does it make sense to me? Like you should be as close to the issue as possible.
0: Who inspires DeRay?
1: So many people. But I think that um, the people that give me hope are – like the protesters I meet across the country, or or like citizens who understand that they have power, is that is that when I think of what it means to empower people, it's like I can't give you power, right? You can't give me power. None of us are God. We can't give each other power. But what we can do is help people find the power that they already have. And every day across the country, I like see people, I meet people who for the first time are like finding their power, and that to me is the most hopeful thing that I could ever be around.
0: You know, um, it's funny because we spoke a little bit about this before, but. You know, some of the same people that you stand, you know, in front lines with are some of the people who also have came at you or, you know, comment to you like, you know, do you find that funny that some of the people that you have gone to bat for uh, that you face some heat, you know, from or, or maybe some shade?
1: Yeah, I do. I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel misunderstood sometimes. <laughs> that's like what people, it's like, yeah, I feel like people get trained to say that. You know, running for mayor was really <laughs> special because uh, people were meaner to me than anything I've ever done in my life. I'll never forget the, the day after I announced uh, a major publication, published a story that said the liberation of black people will not be on the back of DeRay McKesson. And I was like, I don't even know, like, that wasn't the claim I said I was, you know, like, that's sort of wild and like mainstream places did stuff like that. And like, that was sort of fascinating. And, and it, because it was just so shocking, you know, I want you to be free. Even if we don't get along, right. We might not, like stand side by side but i don't want the police to kill you right like i want you to live in a world that's equitable and just and i also know that part of what it means to build a coalition or to be in coalition work is that we might agree on the outcome like we might agree on a, we should agree on like what an equitable and just world looks like we might disagree about how we get there and i'm open to that so i try not to take uh I try not to take everything personal. I try to take the things personal that should be taken personal.
0: Mm. You know, for people listening, to this, especially white people, um, you know, c- can you explain white privilege, like in the sense of, you know, do you think it's more about class than the color of skin?
1: Not about class. You know, one of the one of the ways that whiteness works is that white uh, white performs a. Whiteness, whiteness performs this innocence. So, white people will say things like, you know, I didn't benefit from slavery. Like, I didn't, you know, I worked really hard. Blah, blah. blah. That's like one of the ways it shows up. And the reality is that, like, you didn't personally work hard for every band aid to look like you, right? Like, you didn't personally work hard for a nude to be the color of your skin and not my skin. Like, that is what whiteness is. Like, whiteness, when Baldwin says whiteness is a metaphor for power, that's how it shows up. Uh, not too long ago, I tweeted something about whiteness and Somebody emailed me back and was very frustrated with me, and and I was like, Can "You just send me your phone number." And we had a we had a good call, and in that call, I was trying to help him understand that like whiteness is not only white supremacy and racism; that like it's not just lynching and enslavement. That the power of whiteness shows up in many ways. And I was explaining to him like, you know, you think about, um, and people have said this long for me, but you think about like that every book you read, the characters are white until they're named other, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm that that is whiteness that that is the power of whiteness the fact that like normal like what you consider a normal character to be as a white character like that is how power functions in this space and if I and have tried to use these things to help people understand that that is what the privilege of whiteness actually looks like that it doesn't have to be overt it doesn't have to be sort of people wielding it in a way uh, because it's always being wielded
0: yeah should white people feel bad for what their ancestors did
1: White people should understand they benefit from whiteness in a way that is bigger than them as an individual. And if they believe in equity and justice, part of their work is to make sure that they, that in the end of the day, that there is no privilege to whiteness because like all skin is valued.
0: Mm -hmm. If there's one thing, or maybe two, that people didn't know about the Ramekesson, what would you say that would be? I
1: don't know how to cook. I can make uh, some mean oodles and noodles. Uh, Maybe they call them ramen here at home. They were oodles and noodles. In
0: in jail, we used to call them crackhead soups. But we fucked with them. Heavy.
1: They're great. And then uh, I can make hot dogs. And I can make an incredible peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then the second thing is... Oh, I used to be... It's funny. I don't even talk about this anymore, but... it was such a big part of my life. I used to be deathly afraid of dogs, so so afraid of dogs that if keys jingled, I, it made me nervous because I thought it was, like, a dog's... um a collar. collar. But, like, for a long... Until college, I was, like, deathly afraid, like, really... And I never got bitten or chased or anything, but I was, like, really afraid. And I, and I went to college in Maine, and there were always these dogs, like, without chains. And it was, like, the first time I'd ever been around dogs, like... I don't know, in a a peaceful way. And it totally, like, I was no longer afraid anymore. But for so long, I was, like, frightened of dogs.
0: What about nicknames? Any other nicknames that you had growing up? I love a conversation about nicknames. No, so I don't have a middle name because my
1: grandparents can agree. So it's just DeRay. My sister's name is Teray. We are not twins. We're just
0: black (laughs) from Baltimore.
1: And uh, my grandmother, you know, like, if you yell... So Tere's older. So it was always Teray and Ture. And if you yell Teray and Ture, in the house, it all, like you sort of don't hear the T or Duh. It just sounds like Array at the end. So we would always come, which was pretty annoying. So my grandfather and my grandmother and my uncle used to, or like uh, part of my family used to call me Dr when I was a kid, because mm. like, they they had to call me something different than Teray because like D- they could, uh, Tere just sounded like we would just run, you know, if you're like Tere, I'm like, hey, what'd you want? It's like, they didn't want me so they would call me dr and like my uncle still calls me dr to this day that's really the only real nickname i was called all the ridiculous like Deray of sunshine DeRay, like blah 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 like that was annoying uh, but i wouldn't i don't really count those as nicknames dr i got a lot you know while you're out the radio
0: the radio what was that your rapper name
1: Not very created people uh no just like i don't know you
0: never wanted to get into music right I'm gonna have an album
1: scene. I'll, I'll let you be on my album. Really? I'll do Freedom some
0: adlibs. <laughs> I'll do some. Ad- I'll do some adlibs. You know? Um, have you ever? You know? Have you ever been out and about in all these different cities, and was actually to, you know, conduct yourself with a white person and explain to them. And then, you know, right there on the point, like what, you know, what you were fighting for and, and and have them understand and agree with you. All the time. Really? People are hungry. I think people, there are more
1: of us in them, right? There, there are more people who believe in a just and equitable world than not. The challenge is, can we organize them all? That in so many ways, one of the biggest issues on the left right now is that the, the interest in doing work has outpaced the infrastructure to absorb that interest and I think that that's sort of the issue now but i meet people all the time who are like let me know right they're like let me know how to what can i do where can i do it how can i do it right now the only two things that the that the sort of organizing spaces come up with is like either donate right like donate um or like come to a march you know mm-hmm. or like call your congressman it's like after a while like i don't you know that's not going to so that people want more
0: that's that's some things they could do to get involved in in in, in the issues right
1: yeah I, I think that we've not I think that we've not figured it out yet. I think that there's a question about like how do we absorb all this energy into like good because mm-hmm. we the numbers are on our side, you know the right just has like a more insidious strategy and in some ways it's easier because when you think about oh, make America great again. That's about memory and recall, right? That's We've lived in a world where white people have terrorized everybody before, so they're just trying to bring us back to that world. Mm-hmm. We've never lived in a world of equity and justice, so we actually have to build that and imagine that, and that is just different work. Uh, so I get that it is hard to do, but the question, I think, on the left is not are the people there. I think the people are there. The question is can we organize them?
0: You know, um, recently I seen that, uh who's the uh, cop that got uh, the judge throughout the case? Remember she was nervous and she, uh, what case is that? The judge threw out the case. She was nervous to cop that, uh, the helicopter. what? The helicopter. I believe so. It was on the highway, maybe.
1: Yeah. Oh, in uh, in Tulsa.
0: Yes, yes, yes. How how did the judge throw out that case? Are you aware of that? That he threw out the case? Yeah, you know, he Made sure. actually, he made sure that, uh, it's not on our record anymore. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. How's that possible? Yeah, you know the systems and structures
1: overwhelmingly benefit the police. So, you know, we created the first public database of use of force policies in the country, the first public database of police union contracts. And we were shocked is that there are police union contracts that say things like, um, like the officer has to be disciplined in the least embarrassing way to the officer in the department. You're like, I don't even know what that means. Right. Mm-hmm. Like places like Austin and Austin, the, um, the police get access to all the interrogation materials before they have to write a statement. You're like, well, that's wild, right? Like no private citizen. You don't get access to, could you imagine you got access to all the police information about you before you could be asked a question? Like nobody gets that. So we've created a completely separate justice system for the police, which is how they continue to get off on these things. The challenge is that there are 18,000 police departments, right? So this work will be, department by department to change these systems and structures. And they are incredible activists working to do that now.
0: Mm. Where do you hope to see Black Lives Matter uh, in about five years?
1: I mindful that the Civil Rights Movement was a decade-long worth of activism, and this is the third year of sustained organizing. So I'm hopeful that while we have changed the the conversation and the rhetoric about these issues, that soon we will see systems and structures change to have the biggest impact.
0: Mm. Hey, listen, man, um, I, I want to see you write a book. One day, you know I One loved when day. you were on um Stephen colbert when the, hmm, hmm. that was classic, man
1: Colbert's good. you know that interviews in the um the interview is in the Smithsonian, really, yeah, which is cool nah, he's I, good, you know the late night shows are um they're all freezing, like the sets are really cold there's this like comedy theory that you people don't laugh when they're warm, mm. so they're freezing. That, uh-huh. that's my take that's one of my takeaways I was on Cobert twice yeah
0: it's like the like casinos I feel like the casinos make sure it's fucking cold as hell so they keep you up so you can play and lose more, more money you know are they cold I don't think I've ever been a casino I mean yeah. I mean throughout my years they've been cold you know, <laughs> you know? all the 10,000 casinos I've been to you're so funny the, the, they've been cold but listen um, anything you want to leave the people let them know where you know obviously they can find you on Twitter and Instagram at D-Ray D-E, R A Y. Um, anything uh, else? Yeah,
1: no, I'd say like, you know, joincampaignzero.org is about police violence, and then we launched ourstates.org, which helps map some of the, the legislation in states across the country. So, uh, yeah, but follow me on Twitter and you'll know, uh, stay up to date on the podcast
0: safe. Pod Save the People.
1: Pod Save the People. It's a
0: weekly podcast. It comes out on Tuesdays. Wh- wh- where do you uh, want to take that thing? Because I know it's early, you know, in the game with the podcast for you. But where do you want to take it?
1: Yeah, you know, I I wanted to make sure there was a place where we could uh, decide on who to interview and and create platforms for stories that otherwise wouldn't be told. So I'm proudest of the interview with uh, After Charlottesville. Got some young organizers from Charlottesville to to talk, and and they were incredible. Did a special episode on DACA uh, and was able to use the platform to highlight voices that otherwise would not have been highlighted. And that, to me, is the real purpose of the podcast.
0: Mm -hmm. You met Beyonce yet? B, yeah. Really? What'd she say to you the first time she's seen you? Or what did you say to her?
1: And Beyonce's very kind. And uh, she's sitting on this couch and she goes, hi,
0: I'm, I'm k- Beyonce.
1: I was like, hi, I'm Dre.
0: He's <laughs> <It's> so stupid. <laughs> that was we, where'd, you, where'd you Where'd you meet her? Her office. Really? So she called you to come over there? Yeah. Okay.
1: She's good. She's as nice as you think. She's like as good as you want her to be, you know? Yeah. Probably a little bit better. Did you meet Jay too that day? no i i've met jay but uh not that day he he doesn't they like have their offices across the street from each other yeah. um he was not at her office
0: mm. what did he say to you when he met you
1: he was like hi they're both really they're both really just nice. supportive
0: yeah, yeah i know um
1: i know her team i know her team much better than i know the the rock people the um, rock nation but I, but there are great people in both teams. I know some people over at Rock Nation, and, and they're very focused and and they care about these issues. And I know most of the people at Parkwood, and and they care about these issues. And I know you know I met be I met B a while ago, but I you know we've been we've stayed in touch. So she cares about these issues, and that's a good thing.
0: Hey, listen, you may be in one of the videos soon. You know. <laughs> She follows him on Twitter. That's you know. it's funny too because they use that as like a, a big uh, highlight. I know when they like Stephen Colbert is saying that, you know, and, uh, you know, of course these shows are going to use it as that. You know, so but I would
1: get introduced places. They'd be like, "Duray is a protester and one of nine people that Beyonce follows." And you're like, "Yeah, okay, you guys are funny."
0: The, did you get the notification to your phone when she followed you that day, or or you just you didn't even realize it?
1: No, no, I realized
0: it. Mm. Special moment. Yeah, yeah. She's I mean, good, Beyonce is such a she's, she's she's great. She's she's Beyonce. Okay, Beyonce. she's the only person I leave my lady for. <laughs> um, listen, anyway, um, I'm I'm thankful. I mean, I've always expressed my gratitude towards just you being able to bring up information and and everything you do. Just really, just helping not only us but even people like my kids to hopefully live in a better world than we are yesterday and today. You know. So that means a lot to me personally, and, I, and that's why I kept on making sure that I stay in touch with you to uh, uh, have you on because it, it means so much to me to have your story told and told and told, and the journey that you're on. Because, like you say, you know, um, there is it, still work to do.
1: There is still work to do. Yeah, and I'm excited to once we launch this next big project, I'm excited to have you be involved because I think that you know the reality is is that we can undo all the damage that's been done and that we can build something better that we can, you know, that like the world has not always been like this, that we can redo this.
0: Yeah. And, and that's what me, that's what it means. It means everything about that. So listen, internets, make sure you check out D Ray, check out his, uh, what's that, what's that thing? One more time campaign, uh, Join campaign zero campaign, org,
1: Join campaign org. Yep.
0: Okay. Coming from your favorite Instagram father, premio, the God, D Ray McKesson, he said, Instagram fault. I'm still laughing at that. IG dad. IG dad. But internets, listen, we'll see you next episode. Cheer. Boom. Internets, if you loved what you just heard, do me a favor, please. Go over to iTunes, subscribe, rate. If you if you mess with SoundCloud, follow us or Spotify, whatever it is, make sure you subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. It helps us. It helps us look helps us look, look, look. clean in these streets, man. I need your help. Okay? You got all these Gems. You're getting all this uh, uh, inspiration. You know, I pour my heart out on these fucking episodes, and I try to bring to you people from all walks of life, whether that be entrepreneurs, athletes, artists, and really go over the journey. No fuck shit, no drama, just real life shit. So if you fuck with the Premium Pete Show, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, press that subscribe button, rate, and leave a comment. I don't care if you say, like, yo, Pete, I love the show, or if you say, Pete, go fuck yourself. It's all right. Sometimes it has to be like that. But... Make sure you go to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcast and listen to your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and leave a comment, okay? I appreciate y'all, and we'll see you next episode. Cheer.